Welcome. This podcast is brought to you by The Seat and Shrine. We are your hosts today. I am Lisa. And I am Bridget. In each episode, we are looking forward to sharing stories about individuals who have ties to Elizabeth and or her mission. Today, we are going to um, talk about Sister Elizabeth Boyle, but we have a special guest that's going to help tell some stories about her. Sister Regina Bechtel is a Sister of Charity of New York. Oh, I love Sister Regina. Um, her reputation definitely precedes her. She's been a Sister of Charity in New York since 1962, and she is known for her work in um, spiritual directness as a retreat leader. She has published, so she's a writer. She has done a lot of work in looking at the history and the spirituality of Elizabeth Hanstein and the sisters that follow her. Um, so I'm really excited to be giving her a phone call. Yeah. So most recently she worked on the Seton writing project with sister Judy. Um, and so she really went through all those letters and discovered new letters. And so, yeah, I would say she's kind of an expert on those early sisters, especially. So, um, let's give her a call. Well, Lisa, before we actually get started, I just wanted to take this time to let our audience know that we could run into potential audio issues. When we call Sister Regina, um, she is located in New York, while we're here in Emmitsburg. So this is a telephone conversation that we are hoping to uphold a solid audio. But if we don't, we just hope that it's not too distracting from your experience of this podcast episode. Hello, how are you? Good morning, Sister Regina. Um, this is Lisa, and Bridget's here too. Hi, good morning, Sister Regina. Great. How are you? Great. Good morning. I'm fine, thank you. And yourself? We're doing pretty good. Yeah, we're both well, which is good. Good, good. Yes. So, let's go ahead and jump in. Elizabeth Boyle, she knew Elizabeth Ian Seaton. She was one of the first sisters in the group that had taken their vows in 1813 along with Elizabeth Ann and her legacy really kind of shows through with the Sister of Charity in New York and their official funding because she was the first mother for that congregation so we're just really intrigued with her overall we're learning who she is and that's why we just wanted to talk with you because your reputation is preceding you that you just know so much especially with Elizabeth Ann Seton um, but Coming from where you are as a sister of charity of New York, you look to Elizabeth Ann, I mean, not Elizabeth Ann, sorry. <laughs> Forgive me, I keep um, <laughs> confusing Elizabeth Boyle and Elizabeth Ann Seaton. Um, but you look to Elizabeth Boyle as your first mother as well, correct? Not just Elizabeth yes, Ann Seaton. Correct, correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and one of the, I think, one of the um, strong uh, reasons why we are we are devoted to Elizabeth Boyle, and yet we don't consider her our foundress. We believe very strongly in the link that she had with Elizabeth Ann Seaton, and we believe that she absorbed much of Elizabeth Seaton's spirituality and uh, knew her as a friend, knew her as um, a person with a, a work colleague, if you will, because she served for um, several, um, served as assistant mother under Elizabeth Seaton um, for a number of years, and then after Elizabeth Seaton died, she was 
elected to that position as well. But, so the second in charge of the community. So she she knew her her dreams and her hopes, you know, for the community. So um, yeah, we we see a very strong link in our story in the New York Sisters of Charity uh, with Elizabeth Seaton because of Elizabeth Boyle. And I, I think that's exactly what we were hoping that you can share with us today is what right. she means to you because Lisa actually had a little bit more of a profound discovery <laughs> for herself in connection yeah. to not only Elizabeth Hampton but Elizabeth Boyle and I'll let her speak instead <laughs> of speaking for yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so for me each uh, with the research that I'm doing on all these different characters I always find something that really um, intrigues me I guess or surprises me and you know starting with uh, Elizabeth Boyle just that from the being a young child just kind of searching for um, a faith a place to belong and the similarity yeah. that her and I have is both of us um, decided to like venture out on our own and I with a friend just like her went from church to church trying to find the right church for me and yeah. you know Elizabeth Ann did that a little bit too you know just trying to find mm -hmm. the right home for her and so I think all three of us kind of share that what happened for me is that I kind of felt at home in the Catholic Church it just felt right to me um, and mm -hmm. I, I get the impression that's the same it was with Elizabeth Boyle that it wasn't so much like researching doctrine and you know what was right or wrong she just um, seemed to be intrigued and felt at home you know even way back when their cook I think it was taught her how to say her beads the rosary um, yes, she yes, felt yes. that attachment yes and and I believe uh, you know much of her story of becoming a Catholic um, is sort of in the shadows and we, we can uh, imagine we can assume but we don't know have a lot of uh, detailed information but we do know that she was um, a seeker as as you said uh, a seeker and how that speaks I think to yourselves and to so many people of our time as well she was a seeker um, she she also was must have been a woman of rather strong conviction uh, because we understand from, from some sources that her mother was really not very happy about the fact that she became a Catholic and yet right. yeah. she made the choice and she was only 18 when she met Father Morandale who was the pastor at the parish of St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Baltimore and he was the one who um, instructed her in the faith. What, however she experienced him, however she experienced worship, however she experienced the Blessed Sacrament, that was what drew her. Right. Uh, and um, so he instructed her and then baptized her when she was only uh, 20, 20 years old. Yeah, I mean and that's another similarity I think we have for me I was 22 but um, kind of the same thing had some people in my world kind of criticizing me I guess kind of trying to convince me that it was the wrong thing to do um, and yet I, I and I envision Elizabeth Boyle being this way too was a little bit like 
quiet, shy at that time. Um, and interesting, I'm sitting here thinking that the family that really helped me was a, a good friend's family. Um, and it turns out they're related to Kitty Mullen. <laughs> so I just put that connection together. Um, so, really? yeah, so I, I'm, I feel a closeness with Elizabeth Boyle. And I think that that is kind of our Bridget and I's mission here is to try to help people out there kind of relate to some of these people in Elizabeth's, Elizabeth Ann Seton's world, yes. you know. Yes, yes. They are not just uh, cardboard characters, you know. They're, they're real people with real struggles, and they followed many different paths that led them to meet Elizabeth Ann Seton, uh, that mm-hmm. led them to be attracted to the life of the Sisters of Charity and to a life of, of the service and uh, mm-hmm. connection, deep connection with God and with other people. Um, so many paths, many paths, and the one uh, bring us to the one place. Well, I, I think that's a perfect place to kind of continue on is that you talk about many paths, and it seemed from our reading we're kind of interpreting that well Elizabeth Boyle did sort of had an idea of what she wanted to do like she just wanted a quiet simple life in prayer really and Elizabeth Ann Seton was very active um, in her period of seeking and helping the community so you know she established a school and the Sister Charity St. Joseph and it just kept on growing each year during her lifespan and then missioning out to Philadelphia and in New York and mm-hmm. Elizabeth Boyle you know accepted that like it right. wasn't really what she thought that's what we're, that's what we're learning from from our reading right. so please correct us for mom to Regina but it seems like she it's not really what she wanted to do but she obeyed right like she didn't um she loved being the sacristan you know going from the St. Joseph's yes. Chapel here at the Academy, to the Chapel of the Seminary, to St. Joseph's here in the Valley, spending all day Saturday kind of in that um, little bubble of her own um, in prayer, I guess, that continual prayer that Elizabeth Ann talks about. Um, she wasn't as comfortable being mother's assistant or teaching French or you know mistress of the novices. Not that she didn't see the value in those things or want to have that closeness. She just kind of really liked that internal prayer and quietness, I think. That's the impression that I'm getting. Well, yes, and I, I, I guess that's an, an, an interpretation, and I think, again, that sort of needs to be um, understood in, in the shadows. You know, we're looking back at um, a woman of uh, the mid, uh, of the early uh, 19th century. Uh, we're looking back at um, uh, an understanding of living religious life that was evolving, um, you know, and, and evolving in Mother Seton's own mind herself, too. I mean, here she was a convert of only a few years, and she's um, beginning, called upon to begin a religious community here that is that is different, that is unique, that meets uh, the needs of the growing church in America, and at the same time that is deeply rooted in um, prayer and and connection with God and um, you know a life a life of prayer so I think the learning to to live that balance um, is something that we're still uh, grappling with today all of us you know mm-hmm. but imagine what it was like for um, women in 
the time when Elizabeth Boyle and Elizabeth Antini lived. So, yes, I think she was sort of a naturally introspective kind of person. Mm -hmm. And um, not so much, I wouldn't call her shy and retiring, but she was not the kind of person, I don't think, who had, you know, um, the compelling presence to walk into a room and immediately everybody would turn to her uh, because she had the, the big ideas, you know, or, um, you know, I think she had a leadership, a quality of quiet leadership within herself, but perhaps she did not see that in herself, you know, and I think that sort of speaks to your point about um, she didn't think she was worthy enough to be appointed the director of novices. You know, mm -hmm. she wasn't holy enough or good enough or whatever, you know. And how, I, I suppose, uh, each of us in some way has had experiences where we've been called to a, a certain role or position or responsibility and our first reaction might have been, oh my goodness, not me. You know, I would right. never do that. <laughs> right. so, you know, I can imagine her sort of feeling that that same way too. Uh, you know, be, again, it speaks to the depth of her spirituality, um, knowing, uh, perhaps knowing that she didn't think she had the, the same kind of gifts that Elizabeth Seaton had, perhaps, you know, I'm, I'm conjecturing, but that could very well be it. And, uh, and yet she took on the role, which was a very key role in the early community when you think of it, you know, because she's called upon to help guide and form the first group of women um, who are joining the Sisters of Charity. And mm -hmm. so many uh, sisters later on, um, I believe, respected and valued the, 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 the preparation, the formation, the, the kindliness, and the, the direction that um, Elizabeth Boyle was able to give them. Uh, you know, to be faithful to the rule, to be um, loving and caring to the students in their charge. You know, and, and those are the sorts of gifts that she brought when she came to New York to begin the, uh, was sent to New York by Mother Seton, uh, you know, excuse me, she was sent to Philadelphia mm -hmm. uh, to, to um, work in the orphanage, but that even was after Elizabeth died. So she stayed in Emmitsburg uh, the whole time that Mother Seton was alive. So. They, and she was very closely aligned with her as they received the call to send sisters to Philadelphia, um, as they received the call to send sisters to New York, as they had to discern those calls, mm -hmm. and as they had to grapple with the financial realities of their time, and mm -hmm. as, they, um, as they tried to prepare other women, young and not so young, to become sisters of charity. So I think she knew how to be a colleague and a team player, perhaps you could say. Yeah. You know, um, as she brought her own quiet wisdom and quiet perspective to the the deliberations of the council. Yeah, and I think she does it like without 
Like she just completely trusts Mother Seton, and and we see where you know we've seen over and over. Mother Seton seems to know exactly where to put people, exactly their strengths, and Elizabeth Boyle seems to trust that, and she's she's very obedient without any kind of you know she doesn't have any kind of resentment or anything. She just totally trusts. She's at peace with that. At least that's the perception that I get. Um, yes. You know. Yes. The thing I keep coming back in reflection of what you just said is that once again Mother Seton herself sees strengths in people regardless whether they see it in themselves or have that kind of confidence and it just it's such it's just so like providential of how things continue to shape and form even after Mother Seton's time and it's like you know I always wonder like if Mother Seton could have seen all that, you know, right. I wonder if she would just, her heart would have been bursting right. in joy for their successes. Yeah, um, and I think it really goes to what you said earlier, Sister Regina, because it seems like Mother Seton was such an example for them. Like, she really brought out their strengths, because we see, to me, there's, there's a little bit of a difference between those sisters that actually knew Mother Seton, you know, and and what they kind of, they, they got what she wanted, I think, and understood what she yes. wanted to have happen. Yes, yes, yes. Elizabeth Ann Seaton was, I think, was a, a very good judge of character uh, in, in that she recognized the gifts, the very different gifts uh, of, each, of each person, of each sister, certainly in the community, and, and at the same time, she encourage them and and uh, support them when they had they were asked to do a job that perhaps was they felt was beyond their capacity or not to their liking you know so <laughs> I think that was also part of the the gift um, that Elizabeth Ann Seaton brought out in the sisters and then you know just even watching her learning from her the other women who then subsequently became leaders in their own right, whether they were the, um, the sister servant or the superior of a particular mission, or whether they went on as did Elizabeth Boyle and uh, Margaret George to become leaders in independent communities that stemmed from Emmitsburg. You know, each of them drew on that, that uh, relationship, uh, that strength, that um, I know that there are two books available on Mother Elizabeth Boyle. Um, one was written by Sister Marie Dolores Walsh, and I believe this is yes. the one that you actually sent us, and there's very, very few copies of these. And then there was another one that um, yeah, the Lisa life, read. Yeah, The Life of Mother Elizabeth Boyle. I think it was written in like 1893. Um, yes, but yes, Sister Maria Dodge, I think, yes. wrote that, although probably she didn't put her name on it because that wasn't the, uh, right. uh, the, the custom of the time. You know, right, there's just an, uh, an anonymous sister, you know. Yeah, there's just initials. I think it's like M dot yeah. something or whatever, so that kind of fits because, um, yeah, yeah, I was very curious about that. Um, both of them, you know, at, at when I first started with the um, doing research on her, I, Elizabeth Boyle, I was like, there's not very much. I went to Bridget, and I'm like, there's not very much. And then, you know, through these two books, there's so much about her. But it's it's story after story of her having that quiet presence, having that peace, having that obedience, and 
I, I, you know, just love when she went to New York or even Philadelphia, I guess, is where she really started with the orphans and kind of. That's correct. You know? Yes, that's correct. She, she was sent. Um, the, the community, Mother Seton's community, was asked um, to send sisters to staff an orphanage that existed in Philadelphia that had been started by a Catholic benevolent society. Mm-hmm. And when, when I think about the fact that they were asked to do this while the War of 1812 was going on mm-hmm. in the country, and so they, they um, explored, uh, they taught, they, uh, I mean, they, they met, they sat, they prayed, uh, they discerned, mm-hmm. and there's some record in the council minutes of the time that states they decided yes they would send sisters because no no duty or inconvenience should prevent sisters of charity from carrying out their duty. Right. And I think of the of the courage of uh, Mother Seton and her council and her sisters at this time when the country was in, in danger. I mean, even to travel from Emmitsburg to Philadelphia, you know, ran the risk of being interrupted by British troops, you know, or, right. or a, a, a place um, that was under attack. They, so they just went... Even, just even that, you know, strikes me as very, um, very amazing that they would do this. Yeah, because I, I read that recently, and they went a different way to avoid um, going near Baltimore, which, you know, ended mm-hmm. up being very providential mm-hmm. because that was in September when the whole um, Francis Guy Key thing happened, um, yes, you know, yes, and yes. so they were traveling at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, again, it just goes to their tr- just trusting, just trusting that they're going to be okay and that this was important. And, again, she just kind of just goes with it and she seems to really be attached to orphans. And that's really where I think it appears that her love is really for the rest of her life is with these yes, children. Yes, 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 yes. And she, she was not the first group, in the first group to be sent to the um, orphanage. Oh, um, that's right. In 1814. But she was uh, later appointed um, as sister servant to replace the, the sister who was there. Right. So she was there from 1820 to 1822, and um, uh, I, I I really treasure the story about her. Um, interaction, if you if you will, with the board of managers there. Um, so she she I agree with you that that Philadelphia is the place where she came in touch with children in need and lost her heart to children in need, and that stayed with her all her life. Um, apparently, there were managers, um, trustees, late trustees, if you will, of the orphanage who, of course, demanded a, an accounting each year. And um, at one point, she found that the, the managers were giving her um, a lot of trouble kind of questioning the small amount of money that was given to the sisters. They, they weren't questioning the small amount. They were questioning the fact that the sisters were receiving money for their maintenance, you know. Um, she had also, uh, Elizabeth uh, Boyle also had had to stop the practice of taking in 
gay students at the orphanage. And the reason she gave was that it was not part of their original contract um, with the managers, and it had placed a more of a burden on the sisters than they could manage. Now remember, this is 1820. Um, the community is growing, but it certainly does not have large numbers to send to um, the, the mission, first mission outside of Emmitsburg. So Elizabeth Boyle, the, who seems like a quiet, retiring, introverted sort of person, um, summons up all her courage in service of the sisters, in defense of the sisters, and in defense of what the orphans needed. And so she wrote a letter to the trustees, the managers, in September of 1821. And just a few excerpts from the letter will give you a sense of um, both the savvy and the courage of Elizabeth Boyle. She said, I beg leave to remark that I have never called for one cent of money towards the support of the house since I have been here, and I hope I shall not have to do it. The profits arising from the children's work, I have reason to hope will compensate for the loss sustained by the day scholars. So she tells them, in no uncertain terms, the children's work, whatever they're doing, perhaps it's sewing, perhaps it's washing, I'm not sure what the children's work was, but obviously they were paid for it. And that was enough to um, support the house. Um, so then she goes into the point about um, the sisters, and she was a, a very a good businesswoman. She, she had good business smarts. I'm not sure where she got them, but um, she had them. So she continues in her letter um, to sort of leave her options open, and at the same time she wants to make a statement about what our generation would call the cheap labor of the sisters, you know. Oh, yeah. So she, she says to them, I beg it may be understood that I make no engagement not to call for money if I should find it necessary. I also hope if I do, it will not become the subject of new remarks. I understand it is thought there are too many sisters here for the service of such a small number of children. If you can get a smaller number of persons who will use more economy and be less expense to you than we are to do what we do, you surely know you are at full liberty. We can quickly withdraw. Wow. You can <laughs> almost you can almost hear her writing those or see her writing those words and it uh, in her mind, underlining them and saying, hmm, take that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, she's very well, much like Elizabeth Ann Seaton there. <laughs> that, that's, that's Elizabeth Boyle's strength and, and defense of the sisters. And I think that that ability that she had, that, that loyalty, that deep loyalty she had to the sisters, um, she knew how hard they worked. She right. knew the demands of the job, which was a 24-7 kind of job, 24-7 uh, kind of ministry, and she would not stand for any 
um, criticism of the fact that the sisters needed money to maintain themselves and, and to make a living and uh, to feed themselves as well as to manage the house and to feed and clothe the orphans. And they, so you, you see something of the strength of that uh, of, of that woman that uh, you know you, you wouldn't necessarily get from the her early days uh, you know with, with Mother Seat. You wouldn't see that displayed in the, the same way. Right, that's true. Um, and, and that protectiveness, I think that Elizabeth Ann Seaton had also just like, I don't know, that belief yes. in what they were doing and fighting for it. Right, that's right, that's right. And, you know, I suppose looking at it with our eyes today, we can say she, she, was, she was the one who knew most, um, who knew best what the job involved and uh, she she was not about to stand for uh, people who did not have the hands-on experience but who perhaps were just looking at the books and looking at the numbers uh, sh she said there's another there's another thing going on here <laughs> you know we have uh, children to serve we have sisters to support and um, we are how can I say this we 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 can speak for ourselves you know we know what we are doing we can speak for ourselves and um, you know we don't appreciate um, your insinuations that perhaps there are too many of us here so you know those it, I think those same gifts stood her in good stead when she was sent uh, in 1822 to the New York uh, Orphan Asylum Right and, and yes, go ahead. I was just going to say, and she's she's you know there um, for quite a while. <laughs> um, she's there. She's there un basically until she dies in eighteen sixty one, except for probably uh, maybe sixteen months. Um, she had a, a short stint when she was called back to Emmitsburg after Mother right. Stephen died uh, to be the assistant mother. Um, she um, was sent up to Rochester, I believe, right. for a few months in 1846, uh, 1846. But for the rest of her time, really from 1822 until 1861, she was in New York. And um, apart from the time when she was in leadership for three years, she she was with the orphans. Yeah, it's, um, you know, when I kind of was finishing her story it was interesting to me that you know she takes on the job as as mother and Archbishop Hughes it looks like would have given her that position for the rest of her life but it's after three years she declines and she wants to be a private sister um, and and again you see that that obedience where she goes back to the orphan asylum and is kind of like low man on the totem pole right now and and she's okay with yeah. that Yes, 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 and I, I think that's it's such an example of her uh, genuine humility, not her phony humility, but her sense of, I've given what I can give in this position, I've, uh, I've done what you asked of me, you know, what the sisters had asked of me by electing me as mother uh, for two years. Um, I, I 
asked that I may go back to the orphanage, you know, or actually, you know, what she said, it, it is said, she said to Archbishop Hughes, what shall I do, Your Grace? And he, he said, you will return and take the lowest place, you know, below the lowest novice and go back to the orphanage. Well, you know, maybe he said that, maybe he didn't. Um, it, it could be the, um, the typical kind of thing that would be said at the time. In other words, you know, you you go back and do your job. You go back and, and serve the people you came to serve. And um, I don't think it was as much of a put down as, as perhaps, uh, you know, uh, later generations have, have thought. But yeah. Well, he, uh, you know. Go back and do the work that needs to be. It's, it sounds like very much what St. Vincent would have said, you know, do the work that is before you to do. And, um, what an example to those um you know newer sisters some of them she had you know kind of um brought into the fold when she was the mother and now she's below them and she kind of um shows you know i trust you just like mother seaton did like i trust you i don't need to do anything more um yes Mm -hmm. yeah mother seaton did show that later on in her life even though she was elected for the third time you know and i I kind of picked up in my reading about that, like she was a little reluctant of that, a little bit fancy picking up that third time right. term of being mother for the community, but she obeyed, you know, and that was her role, and she accepted that. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, you just see some similarities. Right. Yes, yes. One of the, the wonderful um, quotes from Elizabeth Ann Seaton, one of her wonderful descriptions of Elizabeth Boyle that that we treasure, um, I think speaks to her sense of loyalty and relationship and her her ability to be um, a support, uh, a colleague, a co-laborer, and I think even in her later years she was able to be that with with the younger sisters, you know, as they as you mentioned, as they came up in the community. Right. But Elizabeth Boyle, in, Elizabeth Seaton, in one of her last letters that she ever wrote to anybody, mm-hmm. um, writes back to Elizabeth Boyle, who um, at that point um, would have been in uh, Philadelphia. And she, she speaks up to her, she calls her, dearest old partner of my cares and bearer of my burdens. What, I, I just think that's such a tender um, expression of the relationship between these two women. Right. Uh, affection. Um, right. Affection. You know, yeah. through, through thick and thin, through 
through the, the difficulties of the early days of the community. Um, and then the one, the one that Elizabeth could turn to uh, when she just needed to unburden herself. Um, partner of my cares and bearer of my burdens. Right. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, yes. Sister Regina, for yeah. oh. sharing this with us today. I mean, I certainly learned yeah. a lot. Yeah. And that was a beautiful way to end it, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, it, I'm so happy to be able to, uh, to talk about Elizabeth Boyle and to, and to uh, remember again some of the, the gifts that she leaves with all of us as one of the, uh, the founding group of the Sisters of Charity with Elizabeth Ainsley. So thank you. Yeah, well, she certainly made an impression on us, yeah. I think, and, and we're hoping to share that, you know, with many people. Um, she was a beautiful person, and I think Elizabeth Ann saw that. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. What a lovely conversation that was, Lisa. Elizabeth Boyle, in a way, showcased Elizabeth Ann beyond her time. Yes, I mean, she does. You can see that you know, through every story about her. But what I love even more is that through this podcast, we're trying to show how these sisters continue Elizabeth's mission and how she still meant so much to them. So here we are almost, you know, over 200 years later, and you can see with Sister Regina, she still has those attributes of Elizabeth Nancy. Like it's continuing today. And it's just so exciting for us yeah. here. Yeah, like you can really hear from Sister Regina, like you can really hear that she's even inspired by Elizabeth Antine as well as Elizabeth Boyle right. in her work and what she's doing. Right. I really heard the passion in her voice. So it was just right. was such they, a great book. Yeah, these yeah. sisters just mean so much to each other. And their mission continues. They're continuing to do that work. So um, I know we're a little excited to talk to them, but it does. It means a lot to us. So hopefully you enjoyed our podcast. And thank you for joining us today. So we'll catch you next time. Bye.